uh, as we go through this morning. Uh, the, the history of the church has been the history of people sacrificing themselves as sheep among wolves for the sake of the gospel. The history of the church has been uh, the gospel spreading from one place to another, including coming to this country, uh, by people dying for, for the sake of the lost. And so uh, as we reflect on Remembrance Day uh, later on, so I'd love you to be thinking, not just Jesus died for us, but actually what it costs uh, millions and millions of Christians around the world over the centuries to bring the gospel to us. Uh, before, let, let's uh, pray as we get into our, our passage, though, this morning. Our loving Father, how we delight that you are our Father, and you are no less our Father when you send us out as sheep among wolves. Please uh, guard our hearts this morning. Give us uh, a fresh perspective on the world you've created and you long to redeem. Uh, please help us to see that as it was for Jesus, so it is for his students, his people. And would we be uh, awed at the work you're doing through us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we had a, a fantastic time with uh, the Purses last weekend for our, our day away and, and our Sunday morning service. But if you've been dwelling on Alan's words this week at all, I wonder whether these words or, or something like them have struck home to you. Everywhere is the mission field and every Christian is a missionary. We are to consider ourselves sent people if you're a Christian here this morning. And our passage this morning is Jesus' reality check for his sent ones. I remember the first time this came home to me, and you might have had a similar experience. I was at a birthday party in Mile End. Uh, it would have been about 15 years ago. My friend Pete turned up with a page out of The Guardian. Uh, it's not a normal thing to do at a birthday party, I agree, but he turned up with a page. Uh, it was a full-page article uh, written by a senior clergyman in Southwark Diocese, about my vicar. About his uh, terrible views drawn from the Bible and his terrible ministry of proclaiming the gospel. A whole page in a broadsheet, national newspaper. And at that moment, Pete, myself, and the group of friends we were chatting with were faced with a choice. You see, an article like that is, is very obvious, and, and it not only defames the minister, but, but it calls into question the wisdom of all the people who stand with that person. And so we had a very simple choice on that day. Uh, do we stand with William, my, my vicar, and defend his views to our friends as we go into the office the next day and they, they say, I saw this thing in the, the paper, that's your church, isn't it? Tell, tell, you can't really believe these things, can you? Or we could choose to distance ourselves from him, disown his views, <clears throat> disown the Bible's views, and, uh, and then be, be cleared of all uh, misconduct before our friends. <coughs> our situation may be different today, but the temptation to keep our heads down, our temptation to stand apart from our friends who are doing evangelism and suffering for it, that temptation will be very great for all of us. And yet we are sent people. 
It may be that we've been sent to a very hard generation in London in 2017. We don't see a, a great flood of conversions to Christ as are happening in China and in Africa and in, in Latin America or even as they are in Iran at the moment. People are turning to Christ in their thousands all over the world every day. And we may not see that. Uh, we may not die for the gospel as people do in many of those places. But there are many ways in which Christians do suffer. And so being sent is a hard thing. And Jesus owns that. Uh, hearing Melissa reading there for us will not have softened that thought, will it? In fact, it will have sharpened it. Uh, there are wolves, he says. And you are sheep. And if you have any uh, understanding of the taxonomy of those two species, you'll understand that it's not a fair fight. There are children killing their parents. There is verse 22, unescapably from the lips of Jesus, you will be hated by everyone because of me. How does that feel? Jesus pulls no punches this morning. And so, before we get into the detail, let me make uh, three observations. Uh, first, uh, the fact that Jesus describes a uh, mission like this should be comforting for us. Comforting because it means that uh, our experience of how hard it is to share Christ with people and the responses people bring is not unusual. It was experienced by Jesus, it was expected by Jesus, and has been the case everywhere. Uh, mission is hard and dangerous work. Jesus is a realist. It should be comforting for us. Secondly, it should be comforting because it means that Jesus has something to say to us this morning to enable us to go into the world as sheep among wolves. And that is a good thing as well. And thirdly, this is exactly what Jesus himself faced for us. What he faced, what his martyrs have faced to bring the gospel to us so that we are saved. And so verse 24, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. What they do to us, they did to him first. And he was willing to face it for us. More on that uh, later. So what I want us to see this morning is this. Uh, we, uh, if we're Christians this morning, will never do evangelism unless we see the world the way Jesus sees it. If we focus only on the pushback we get in this world, if we only see the pain and the hardship and the broken friendships and the harsh words and the gossip behind our backs, if that's all we see, then we will never be engaged in mission. And that's really dangerous. It's really dangerous for other people, but it's really dangerous for us as well. Just take a look at verse 32 with me. See, if we don't speak, if we never speak, then we risk our own eternity. Just take a look at verse 32. Again, unavoidably from the lips of Jesus, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You see the temptation for us. If we... Uh, fear to speak and, and disown Christ. I'm, I'm not one of those crazy Bible-believing Christians who actually believes this stuff. 
believes in judgment, believes in heaven and hell. If we distance ourselves from Jesus' words and Jesus' teachings here, we put ourselves at risk. All Christians are sent and all sent ones speak. Do you see, a huge amount rests on our willingness to face the wolves. But we'll never do that if we don't have the whole picture. And let me uh, locate us in the context. So we're in a section from chapter 8 through to the end of chapter 10. We're towards the end of the section. And it's really important we remember some of the things we learned uh, two or three weeks ago from our context. So let me lay out for you four facts and two implications we've seen from our our passage, the the, the wider context, that will help us to understand what's going on here. Uh, Four simple facts then. One, final judgment is real. Final judgment is real. We've seen that already in our passage. Jesus says, I'm going to be deciding who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. Uh, But that's uh, been there for us uh, already in our passage, chapter 8 and verse 29. The demons say, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Judgment is real. There's been a lot of talk in social media over the recent months about being on the right side of history. You know, is Donald Trump on the right side of history? Is Brexit the right side of history? Or are we going to all look like fools in the decades to come? Well, this is the only right side of history that matters. Okay? Will you be sheep or will you be a wolf? See, in the case of that minister from Southwark, I, I take him to be a wolf in sheep's clothing, and that will be revealed on the last day. Final judgment is real. Second uh, fact, people are lost. Jesus makes that point in chapter 9, verse 36, the previous passage. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Alan showed us last week how bad it is to be a stupid sheep without a shepherd. How easily sheep get themselves into all sorts of bother. The people are lost and they face hell. If we only see people as wolves, we won't go to them. If we see people also as lost sheep in need of a shepherd, we will. We have to hold the two things together. Third point, the kingdom is open and it is brilliant. This point is summarised, I think, in Jesus' teaching in verse 35 of chapter 9. The phrase there is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus has spent chapters 8 and 9 showing us the kingdom. No more sickness, no more mourning, no more death. It is brilliant, it is wonderful, and it is open to anyone who will come to Jesus. And that has got to be good news, hasn't it? Judgment is real. People are lost, but heaven is open if people will come to Jesus. That's good news. And wonderfully, fourthly, the harvest is plentiful. 9 verse 37. There are more sheep to be brought into the sheep pen, into the kingdom, through faith in Jesus, than there are workers to go and and call them in. Perhaps some of you here this morning are here as inquirers into Christian things. you want to know what this, this, this Jesus thing is all about. It's about rescue from hell for heaven through faith in Jesus. Okay. Maybe you're part of the harvest, but the harvest is plentiful. How easily we deceive that that's not the case. Uh, just look down your street on your way home uh, this, this afternoon. 
or, or, or the train carriage or the tube carriages you go to work tomorrow or, or around your open plan office because it's all open plan these days isn't it and you look around your office hundreds of faces there's a harvest there's a harvest so four big ideas we must grasp judgment is coming and hell is real People are hopelessly lost, yet the kingdom is open and it is brilliant and the harvest is plentiful. Four facts to orientate ourselves here. Two major commitments then Jesus asks. One, 9 verse 36, compassion. Jesus saw the lost and and though they would kill him, he wasn't afraid, as we so often are, he had compassion on them. Gut-wrenching compassion. And then second, Jesus demands that we pray. Pray like Bilio, that workers for the harvest field will be sent out, that people would speak, sowing the seed of the gospel, reaping a harvest for eternal life. If we only see this material world, this, this realm in which we can see physically what is going on, we will duck and cover, brothers and sisters. But if we see that there is a judgment and a world to come, then we must have compassion and we must pray, mustn't we? And then, says our passage, we must go. Our passage divides into three broad movements. First, Jesus warns us to be wise about the way that the gospel divides the world. It makes the harvest field uneven. Secondly, he tells us that the unrepentant world is like a vicious pack of wolves. We're to be wise about at seeking out the sheep in wolves' clothing. And finally, he encourages us not to be afraid of the wolves because God is for us. That's where we're going in the rest of our time this morning. Let's first then, Jesus tells his apostles, go into the right parts of the field, verses 1 to 15 on your handout. That's the first major point. So it's important to notice that verses 1 to 15 are about the apostles. We're told it's about the apostles, the 12 disciples, verse 1. Uh, we're told their names in verses 2 to 4. They're called the Twelve in verse 5. This is a a particular time and place ministry for twelve particular people. They're given a specific and limited task of replicating Jesus' ministry of driving out demons and healing people and proclaiming the kingdom has arrived. They're sent specifically, verse 6, to the lost sheep of Israel. It's a much narrower ministry than the one they're given in chapter 28. At the end of the gospel, when Jesus tells uh, these disciples to go and make other disciples who will continue to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's very clearly a specific mission and a specific ministry. There are things that we can learn about the mission field and the methods of the mission from them for all of us. Not least because by the middle of this passage... Uh, the scope has extended beyond these first 12 to all of Jesus' disciples. Let's start with the mission field then. And let's remember that the harvest is plentiful, but sometimes it can feel barren. It's sufficiently plentiful that we need more labourers to sow more gospel seed and to reap the harvest. That's important context because look what happens in our passage. See, what, what, what this passage adds, I think, is this. The abundant harvest is not evenly distributed. And this will determine the methods for mission. We know that it's not evenly distributed. People are becoming Christians by their millions in China. and They're not becoming Christians by their millions here. So, so what's going on there? Something is, is, is amiss, isn't it? Well, this is really important then, isn't it? Look at verse 11. 
Jesus says, wherever you go, seek out the best person in the town. He means the most worthy. We'll come to worthiness next week. Uh, But seek out some worthy person, somebody most likely to become a Christian, the most godly, most wise, spiritually mature person you can find. You're going to Israel, remember, to the the people of God's uh, nation. Find the best Christian-like person you can find, he says. And bless that place, verses 12 and 13, if they welcome you with the gospel. And so this is really important. Verse 14, look down with me, would you please? If anyone will not welcome you or listen to you, remember this is the most worthy person in the town. Okay. If anyone won't welcome your words, leave that home or town and shake off the dust from your feet. And here's the kicker. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. Yes, Jesus is still talking about the judgment day than it is for that town. Just let that sink in for a moment. Do you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Let me refresh it for you. Sodom and Gomorrah were incredibly wicked cities and God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to destroy those cities. And Abraham says to God, well, what if there are 50 righteous people in these two cities would you, would you spare them? And God says, yes, I would do. And Abraham said, okay, but what about 40, 30, 20, 20 people? God, if, you, if, if there were 20 righteous people, would that be enough? He said, yes, it would. But here's the thing. God says, there's, there's only one righteous man in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's your nephew, Lot. And God spares Lot before he brings down a rain of fire and sulfur on those cities. And here is the thing. Because there is one righteous man in Sodom and Gomorrah, it will be better for those cities on the day of judgment than in these Jewish cities that the apostles are going to. There are some places that they're going to go to that are so barren that nobody will turn. These are cities in Israel, God's people, for like 1,500, 2,000 years at this point. Completely godless. Do you see? The harvest field is uneven. So the method for mission is there in verse 7. Okay, one, as you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So they're clearly sent, and they're clearly sent to proclaim the message of what God has done. The kingdom has come through Jesus. Repent, turn to Jesus, be saved. They're to do it freely. Freely you've received, freely give. Be liberal with the gospel. Tell everybody about Jesus. You've had it for free. Let other people have it for free. Tell everybody. But here's the bit we often miss. If you're labouring in a barren bit of field, move on. Move on. Shake off the dust and move on till you find a piece of field that's ripe. There's plenty of it out there. The harvest is plentiful. Now, why is this important for us this morning? Some of us here, a majority of us, are British and or white and or middle class. Delete as applicable. And this particular part of the mission field, the, the white British middle class bit of it, feels very barren at the moment, doesn't it? People are being converted around the country. We've seen conversions here and we we delight in those things and heaven celebrates them. But it's a trickle, not a flood. I'm not saying we we shouldn't keep sharing Christ with our family and friends. 
I hope we've got lots of people coming to the, the RICO event on Wednesday. I hope lots of people become Christians. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But maybe Jesus is saying to us this morning, we should shake the dust off our feet with some people. People we've been trying with a long time. We invest a lot of time and energy in. And they just don't open their eyes. And said, so we need to see the harvest might be plentiful amongst the working classes, the elderly, the disabled, the homeless, the street gangs, immigrants from every kind of country in our area. Jesus says, move on. The harvest is plentiful, it just might not be very plentiful with the little track of land that you're, you're sowing and reaping on at the moment. Open your eyes. We need to be persuaded, friends, that the harvest is plentiful in southwest London. It's so easy for us to think nobody's becoming Christians, it's just pointless. It may be that the little furrow that you've been ploughing for some time has felt barren. And maybe there's a, an opportunity for you to move on, to look slightly wider in your social circle, find the people who might respond. And go and share Christ with them too. But what Jesus says next is very sobering in that context. He tells us what it will be like to be amongst unbelievers. He's realistic and we need to take his word seriously. If the church is made up of sheep, Alan talked about the sheep pen. We're the sheep pen, aren't we? Safe space when we're gathered here together as, as believers. Then the world is made up of wolves. And our second point this morning is this. Be wise in seeking the sheep in wolf's clothing. Verses 16 to 23. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, uh, you'll know the phrase. Uh, we, we studied uh, this uh, passage of, of Matthew a, a little while ago. Matthew 7, verse 15. There Jesus warned about false prophets who come to you as in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ferocious wolves okay so you've got this concept of people who are are worldly wolves coming into the church claiming to be teachers and and ravaging the church he said be careful there of letting wolves into your building don't let the wolves into the sheep pen, and certainly don't let them be in charge of things because they'll tear you apart they'll destroy you There he's warning of the devastation within the church of worldly people taking over. That's bad enough. But now look at what Jesus is saying he's doing. He's deliberately sending out his disciples from the relative safety of the sheep pen into a world full of hungry wolves. Can you imagine the the, the wolf pack in the forest kind of sitting down and, and, and sheep just walk into the midst of them? Did anyone order takeout? And by the way, just as an aside, it's no surprise that the wolves at the Guardian love the wolves in the sheep's clothing. It's not a surprise the article was against my, my old vicar and for the false teacher in, in Southwark Cathedral. Not a surprise at all. Because they're both wolves, see? Anyway, that's an aside. To begin with here, Jesus speaks to his apostles only but by the middle of this section he's clearly speaking to us he says to them you'll be flogged and you'll be handed over you'll you'll be before governors and kings to bear witness verse 18 but by verse 21 it's clear that 
What's happening to the apostles is going to happen to, to all Christians everywhere. What happens in the political realm also applies to the whole church. Brother will betray brother to death. And it's not hard to find stories of this happening in Stalinist Russia, Maoist China, or, or anywhere in the world where somebody converts to Christianity from Islam. So when he says, you will be hated by everyone because of me, he's talking about you and I. He's saying, if you're going to be a Christian, you'll be loved by the church and hated by the world. The wolves hate the sheep. They're not friendly. They desire to eat them, to, to kill and to destroy. Sometimes shooting Christians in church. That was last weekend in Texas, wasn't it? Sometimes uh, taking your jobs away. Sometimes ending friendships because they just can't bear to be with you anymore because you're so full of Jesus. What could possibly persuade us to go out there and, and wear our sheepiness on our sleeves to be known as Christ's people when we know people might hate and kill us? And what motivated Jesus was compassion for the lost. They are wolves and yet they are lost. And when it comes to the judgment, they're in so much trouble. And amongst the wolves, there are lost sheep. Those who look like wolves now, but they will receive the gospel of Christ and they will become sheep. They'll come in. But they're lost at the moment. The harvest is plentiful. There's loads of sheep wearing wolves' clothing out there who need to be brought in. Jesus knows we'll get into trouble, and, and he doesn't tell us to be stupid, does he? He doesn't send us out alone. Verse 16, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Verse 23, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. He doesn't say, you, you know, wear a target on your back and, and be stupid about it. The harvest is uneven after all. Don't be foolish about it. Don't suffer unnecessarily, but recognise that suffering's coming. Move on to the next people till you hit fruit. There's a jackpot out there. You need to go find it. But don't be stupid. And don't think you go alone. Look at verse 19. When they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you'll say it. At that time you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. When you're asked difficult questions, when you're put on the spot by a friend, don't worry about it. Trust that the spirit of God in you is at work. You see, the wolves look at the sheep and think dinner has walked in. And you know, we might feel like we're totally unprepared. We may feel like lamb chops, right? Just ready to be devoured. But God has deliberately sent you into the pack of wolves on purpose so that you can proclaim the gospel that will save some of them from hell for heaven as they turn to trust in Jesus. Uh, my friend Alex uh, tells this story. He played uh, rugby for our uni. He was first picked for the rugby team. Uh, he was ex-England schoolboys winger, really quick, really strong, brilliant sportsman, great player. One night he's out uh, for, a, for a beery night out with the first team and a stripper comes into the room. And one of the guys from, uh, from the rugby team gets up and says, I'll see you guys in half an hour. Because he's a Christian, he knows that this is wrong, and so he walks away. 
And Alex says, like everybody else, we mocked him mercilessly. And I don't think there's anybody who can mock people as well as a rugby team on the beers. I just, you know, they just have a knack for really making you feel horrible. The Wolves went in for the kill on one of their own because he stood apart. But you know, my friend said, I was cut to the heart. Even as I was speaking out, I was cut to the heart. Something in my friend made me think, this, there's something real here. And he sought him out, he was converted, he became a wonderful evangelist and has preached the gospel in, in all sorts of very dangerous places. See, we might get mocked, but God is not mocked. He knows what he's doing. In the midst of unprovoked persecution, the Lord will provide wonderfully because it is in the midst of the wolves that we will find the lost sheep and he will bring them out if we're brave enough to go in. It's hard, this teaching, isn't it? But remember verses 32 and 33. If you want to be with Jesus in his kingdom, then you have to be willing to own Jesus now. Speaking up in the little corners that God's given us to speak in. But in our final brief point, Jesus tells us not to fear. God is for us as we seek to be like him. So our third and final point then, do not be afraid of them, God is for you, verses 24 to 33. So Jesus opens this section with a critical transition couple of verses to the effect that if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to his disciples. If you're a true disciple, then you will be persecuted. Look, uh, uh, if he has been called Beelzebul, that is the prince of demons, how much more the members of his household? How much more will we, who don't do miracles and don't have perfect lives and don't have the wisdom of God just at our fingertips at every single opportunity, how much more will we be called demonic if Jesus gets called demonic? See, associating with Jesus will lead to persecution and it will destroy our reputation. They will call us demonic. And that's tough, isn't it? It's tougher still when, when, a, when a friend or, or your pastor, like my, my, my friend William, is publicly accused of evil by a pack of wolves. Are we going to stand together in those situations? When, when one of us uh, proclaims Christ to a friend and is accused of bigotry and hatred, are we going to say, oh, they went over the top there. I, I don't want to be seen with them. Or are we going to stand shoulder to shoulder and say, no, we're together, we're family, and they're doing the right thing? That's where the rubber hits the road for us, brothers and sisters. If we want to be like Jesus, we're going to have to suffer like Jesus. That's just the way it is. And, and it's through that suffering that God has always done his mission. At this passage point, the passage can feel very tough, can't it? Uh, too tough. And Jesus wants to address the issue of fear here. Notice three times he says, do not be afraid, verse 26, verse 28, verse 31. Essentially what he, what he starts with is this, remember God, remember the judgment, get your perspective right, verse 26. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Your, your name may be mud in this world, but on the last day you will be vindicated. On the final day, at the judgment, it will become patently clear who was on the right side of history. Who had it right all along? Your reputation may be in the toilet now, but it won't be on the last day. And for eternity, you'll be seen to be Jesus' people. So don't be afraid to speak boldly. Yes, there'll be 
they'll, they'll deride you, they'll call you demonic even, but you will have been right all along. Don't worry about your reputation now. Don't be afraid to lose your reputation. Verse 28 then, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. See, this is, it's Remembrance Sunday, isn't it? And we remember those who went into battle and died for, for our freedom, for, for the privileges that we enjoy. Well, as Christians, there is a battle. It's sheep against the wolves. And our weapons are words, and they have teeth and claws. But even if we die, even if we die, there is a resurrection. Remember Jesus, raised on the third day, never to die again. Remember the new creation, where life will be perfected for us forever. There are worse things than martyrdom. Do you realise that? And finally, verses 29 to 31. Remember that God is on your side now. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. In other words, God is completely in control. Totally sovereign. The birds don't fall out of the air, the hairs don't fall from your head, and nobody suffers and nobody dies as a Christian without God being totally in control of it. And even if you die a martyr's death, it's only because God wants to bring you home. None of that takes him by surprise. And the truth is, we all know the world is full of wolves. And if we stick our head above the parapet, we know we'll get shot at. We know that. But if that's all we know, we'll never do it. Do you see? We'll be too afraid to lose our reputation and our lives for the sake of others. But Jesus tells us that we are sent. Yes, as sheep among wolves, but, but sheep going out with a gospel to proclaim to find the lost sheep who can come in. What will motivate us tomorrow to speak of Jesus? I take it this. A gut-wrenching compassion for the lost sheep who are out there among the wolves who don't know their right hand from their left hand and at the moment stand under God's judgment. Those in your workplace and on your street and in your tube carriage, lost people, wearing wolf's clothing for the time being, but who will come in if we give them the gospel. There is a rich harvest. And maybe even some of us in here today, who God is calling into his kingdom for eternal life. And maybe we just need to look at new parts of the harvest field to see the rich uh, blessings that God would uh, bestow on us. Let's uh, end in prayer, shall we? Our Father, in your mercy, show us uh, the rich harvest around us. Give us eyes to see spiritually what is going on out there. Help us to remember your judgment, remember it your compassion for us through Christ, uh, the, the compassion of the martyrs down through the centuries through whom the gospel has spread everywhere. And would we be those who are willing even to give our lives for those who are lost, to bring them into that eternal life through Christ. God, do a work in us, we pray, uh, for your namesake. 
Amen.